Um, I'm going to ask you to stand again if you're able, because uh, in a moment I want us to bump elbows and pray before we get into Daniel 6. But I'm going to ask your uh, prayer, especially for uh, something, because uh, we are going to get together as pastors. So once a year we try and get a solid 48 hours away over you know Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So half a day Monday, all day Tuesday, uh, morning on Wednesday, and then we'll come back and we need to set the budget for the next year and we need to set the calendar because that's basically ministry, that's what we do and we're gonna do those things. And I, th- I feel like, I know, this is a critical year. It's critical uh, because for one thing, if we're gonna keep going as we're growing, well, we're going to have to become a tithing church. I'm just saying, we're going to have to reverse that 80-20 principle where, you know, 20% of the people give 80% of the money. No, we need to be a tithing church. So I'm, I'm committed to, to taking some time, probably around the first of the year, and giving you principles from the Bible that will make it so that you come out ahead. I mean, that's my commitment to you. You'll come out ahead if you do what God wants you to do. But that's only one aspect, because when we get together at this retreat, um, here's what I know. I've seen churches in the past that because God wasn't doing anything, they were simply changing for the sake of change. I know God's doing some things. And if we're not flexible and we don't change, then he's going to stop doing So going into COVID, mandated changes, we didn't have a choice or things we just had to do. We did those things. We made it through. And I'm going to say, because of how we made it through, uh, you know, our focus on God and what we were doing, we made it through in such a way that now coming out of COVID, man, we've got things happening. We've got to make a change because I believe that since COVID, Uh, We've had new people come in and we've got a changing demographic, meaning we've got a younger church. We got a younger church. We got young couples and couples with young kids and we've got all sorts of obstacles related to facilities and things like that. So you be praying with us as we get away at our pastor's retreat. Uh, God will give us a way forward, some wisdom, insight on things like that. And uh, let's bump elbows together and let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing on what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 6. Father, I praise you this morning. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for the praise team that led us. Thank you that we have leaders in worship as well as leaders in the word. I thank you today for the opportunity that we have to stand here together as a body of believers with, with a task, with an objective, with a goal. And God, you're going to supply us today. And God, I'll be, the first to, I'll be the first to confess that the problem in a lot of churches that even have been good churches down through church history is that they taught their children the story of Daniel, but the kids never saw Daniels in the church house. So they learned about Daniel in Sunday school. They did not see adults being Daniels in the workplace, Daniels in the school, Daniels in their life. And God, that's where the breakdown is. So above all people in, in, in this building, we need Daniel today. And we need this, this tale from chapter 6. God, let us be willing to be flexible to change, to adjust our lives to what you're doing and showing us today. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible, open it to Daniel chapter six, and 
you know, Lord willing, my commitment is to try and get through a whole chapter at, at each time we get into it. Uh, I think there are advantages to that, but I need you to know that the book of Daniel is factual. It is actual history, inscripturated for us by the Holy Spirit, so that it will also point prophetically the way to the coming kingdom of Christ. So Daniel basically delivers us a roadmap. Chapter 5, Daniel was made third ruler in the kingdom of Babylon, and in doing so was presented as a type of the third member of the Trinity of the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 6, we see him now as a type of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Because what I need you to know, and this is our thesis for today's study, is that chapter 6 is really the gospel according to Daniel. Because with the exception of dying for your sins, Daniel pictures in type the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot more to this story than what you saw on the flannel graph when you were in children's church. And as far as the inspirational devotional application to us, this is our first point for study. If you want to be a world-class saint like Daniel, you need to be exposed to world-class stresses. You need to develop faithfulness through worship, faithfulness to, through spiritual discipline while you're undergoing world-class stress. So this chapter is about you, how you develop your personal devotion through difficulty. And here's what I would say to all of my saints who are over 40 today. So if you're here and you're over 40, here's what I say to you. Do not slow down or you will shut down. Hello, somebody. Don't slow down or you'll shut down because the only truly anti-aging agent that we know of is is maneuvering your way through spiritual stress in ministry, and if you stop using it, then you lose it. Because this is our second point for study, exposure to stress. That's what expands your faith capacity, because when you are in those stressful times, it allows you to exercise faithfulness. So, why do you feel stressed out, and yet you don't come near to facing the challenges that Daniel faced? Well, we saw the answer last Sunday in Psalm 22. It is because you do not worship in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial and tribulation. You know what? If you have trauma that's bad enough and you don't worship as you go through that trauma, that is what causes you to have PTSD. So most of us break down, not because of stress, but because we lacked worship in the stressful moment. I want you to watch how this unfolds in our date with Daniel. Belshazzar has been killed. The kingdom has been conquered by Cyrus the Persian. The golden sunset of the Babylonian Empire now opens up the new shining silver Medo-Persian alliance. Uh, how, how, what does this new power look like? How do they organize their government? Verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. The word prince comes from an old Persian word. It means protector of the realm. So these are the governors of the provinces. And unlike the Babylonian kings who were dictators, Persian rulers like to delegate responsibility and divide that power up. 
So in this chapter, we get to spend a day in the life of Daniel, prime minister of the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel is in his 80s now. And what that means for you is this, it's our third point for study. If you will start developing spiritual discipline now, then you will be able to be faithful in the future. Verse 2, and over these, over these princes were three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. So princes answer to presidents, presidents are the king's presiding officers, Daniel is first among three, so that just like Christ, in all things, he might have the preeminence, Colossians 1.18. Verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Meanwhile, I mean, the Darius wants to appoint Daniel as chief of staff. And in the same way that God sets his son on the throne of planet Earth, Zechariah 14.9 and Revelation 11.15, and because Daniel was secure in God, Daniel is secure in himself, as shown by the fact he is walking in the Spirit. And here's our fourth point for study. Because just like Jesus, if you will mind the Spirit, as Romans chapter 8 talks about, walk in the Spirit, minding the Spirit, then you become the Holy Spirit incarnate. Now there's a fact for your faith. So Daniel has an attitude of cooperation versus uh, contentiousness, and he's willing to accommodate without compromise. What is it that turns Daniel now, at this point in his life, from being a manager into being a leader for his times? Well, verse 4, it's through some stress. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found with him. Let me press uh, pause uh, parenthetically right there, because those are the three qualities that elevate Daniel above his co-workers. Therefore, this is your roadmap, because these are the qualities worthy of promotion. Number one, he's faithful. That means he's trustworthy. The James gang translates that word also as to believe and to be sure. Daniel is a man who is living out faith. He has living faith in faithfulness. So you can depend on Daniel to be reliable. He doesn't change with the shifting winds of political correctness or with the changing expectations of the palace, the people, and the spirit of our age. Second, number two, he's without error. That means nothing is amiss. James Gang says, by way of synonym, there is no failure. Paul said of Jesus in Hebrews 1 verse 9, he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And that speaks of the diligence you need to have to your duty toward God. So in the final analysis, number three, he is without fault because of all that. And that's incorruptibility because the James Gang also translates it corrupt. There was no corruption under Daniel. So it's the same judgment that Pilate gave to Jesus whenever Pilate said, I find no fault in him, John chapter 19. And this roadmap shows you the three qualities for your life to have living faith and live out in faithfulness even in today's world. How do we know 
that they knew Daniel was all that in a bag of chips? Well, verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. If we can put a Persian law up against God's law, he'll take God's law every time. So, so let me give you the barometers of consecration that we see in Daniel right here that you need to have in your life because this is part of your roadmap. I mean, you stop and think about it. Our society is being torn apart. The world is being torn apart. Our country is being torn apart. Our children, our schools are being torn apart. And you're doing what? You better be doing this. We, we better be able to be a tithing church. We better be able to figure out what we're going to do with facilities to facilitate being able to reach not only your family, the people in your life, but people out in the community. So now, first letter A, Daniel's consecration to God is public and not private. Daniel is outed as a Christian, and that's okay with him. He came out of his prayer closet. As a matter of fact, when he's in his closet... He has the door open so that you can see him. Do you tell lost people that you'll be praying for them? Or are you afraid of what people will think? Because if you show your spiritual side, then, you know, they'll have something to say. Second letter B, Daniel's consecration is both deep and strong. So they do, these men, as they look at Daniel and try and come up with how they're going to challenge that strong, deep consecration. They do exactly what the devil does to you. They attack his worship. You see that in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now you need to read Proverbs 29, verse 5, right right after you read that sixth verse to find out exactly what's going on here. They're buttering him up. And they're saying, look, uh, we want to shore up worship. We want to use you to shore up worship in the kingdom. Uh, nobody can pray to anybody else just for just 30 days. I mean, it's only 30 days. But they can't ask a petition of any other God or any other man except for you. And if they do, they get cast into the den of lions. You know, if you know anything about our world and you study it, you know that there are three churches today which are state churches. In other words, they exist in tandem with the government in many different countries abroad. Um, we're kind of the outlier, separating church and state, but there's Roman Catholicism, there's Eastern Orthodoxy, and there is Islam. And every one of those three in those countries and our own society in the direction it is heading passes laws to make what they view as our intolerance illegal. So they're out here in their religious idolatry. And if from the Bible we cannot countenance that and, and say okay to that and, and do some of that just like they do it, then, then they make it a criminal offense. Now, Darius can barely see beyond his ego, but he plays right into their hands, verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, and it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And once it was signed, this decree becomes a Bible picture, a type of the word of God. And even God cannot change his word, Matthew 24, verse 35. So in the typology of this passage, 
The devil is holding God himself accountable to the letter of his own law. So what happens next? Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. It's our fifth point for study. Do not love your life above your Lord. Do not love your life above your Lord. Do not love your loved ones above your Lord. It's like Spurgeon said, all the people we love, we need to hold to uh, rather loosely because they are all dying things. Don't love your life above your Lord. Daniel's gonna do right till the stars fall. Let God sort out the consequences. So now verse 10 reveals a roadmap for prayer. I call this prescription praying because it is a praying that you need to do as an antidote for your fear. Faith is what shields us from the grip of fear and from pride. What are the exact elements in prescription prayer? First, number one, prescription prayer has a place. It has a spot. Daniel prayed toward the place that God put his name, even though that temple at this time was just a pile of rubble and ashes. Where's God put his name today? Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah saves. We we pray toward God's name. So we pray to God through Christ and with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And the window of your soul needs to be always open to the new Jerusalem, no matter how your life looks. Second, number two, prescription prayer has a posture. He got down on his knees, which is an act of humility. Sometimes in the Bible, they would get down on their face because that's as low as you can go. Physical posture doesn't matter, but your spirit, your spiritual, your heart posture sure does. Number three, prescription prayer has a period, a period of time. David says in Psalm 55, verse 17, and just like, you know, the Jews didn't start their day at midnight like we Romans do. They started their day at sundown. So David says, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. The Lord Jesus said, watch and pray. He told his disciples, watch unto prayer. David, Abraham, Jesus, they all had the habit of starting their day talking to God. So fourth, fourth, number four, prescription prayer has praise. It says he gave thanks before his God. Number five, prescription prayer has petition. It says he made supplication. And those two elements are the Bible definition of prayer. All prayer is a plea, and it has to include praise, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 and 18. And then finally, prescription prayer has a pattern. It said he did it as he did aforetime. Uh, A habit was formed because this was his spiritual discipline, and therefore, worship was able to govern everything else that he did. How do you deal with stress? Train yourself to pray consistently. You know what? When, when the devil throws something at you, if your automatic first response is prayer and getting in the word, he'll, he will let up on you a little bit because his goal is not to get you praying and in the word. This is our sixth point for study. Discipleship is not just about knowledge and information. 
When you sign up for discipleship, when we pair you with somebody, go through our 16 lessons, it is all about developing spiritual disciplines in life. And this was such an important antidote to Daniel that he structured his relationship with God because not all rituals restrict. So develop spiritual disciplines in order to empower you and they will empower you because they create a habit and habits are simply the things which combine together to make up your nature. And you want your nature to be one of total dependence upon God. So I hope you're getting this down for your family's sake. Verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Well, why? Well, because Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, he did, he did just what Paul says in the Philippians. You can, you can see it there on your handout. He wasn't, there was nothing he was full of care about, but in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, he made his request known to God. And then you know what happens? Look at verse 7. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. And part of your problem is that you don't let it do that. You got to keep thinking about it. You dwell on it. You overthink it. And you know what? That's part of your mental problem because after you've given it over to God in prayer, you won't give up and allow the peace that passes understanding. You don't know why it's there. God just gave it to you. You can't figure out why it should be there after what happened to you. And you, and you, right, because you can't figure it out. And as long as you keep trying to figure it out, you won't have that peace. But if you get that peace, it'll keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Daniel's not worried about the effects of the decree. He's in ideal performance mode and uh, giving a faith response. He's got living faith, verse 12. The, 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 uh, his haters come and they make accusation to, a, to the king. And that, um, that activity coming against Daniel is a Bible type of the activity the devil has against you because he is the accuser of the brethren before God and before each other. And it is a shame when any of us allow the devil to make us his agent in terms of slander of other people. That is such a shame. Verse 13, they make the accusation, you know, Daniel was of the king's seed because they say he's of the captivity of Judah. So he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how did Darius respond? Verse 14, then the king, when he had heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. He couldn't believe he got railroaded into this by all the other guys. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Jesus prays three times, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26. But just like the devil knows, God has to be true to his word. So you know what? All things are possible to God, but not all things are possible within his will and his character. And so within the confines of his justice and his holiness, there was no way for God to save you unless he sent Jesus, his son, to die as your substitute. That just had to happen. There was no getting out of that despite Jesus praying three times. So, you know, verse 15, they remind the king that the decree cannot be changed. 
And they remind him specifically of that because that's why Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says that Jesus was delivered to his enemies for death. It says by the deliberate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So lest you go fatalistic Calvinistic, you better recognize God's decrees do not mean that he knows everything that you're going to do, even though he does, but that's not what the decrees mean. His counsel and his foreknowledge means he knows everything he's holding himself to. So your responses are not already decreed by him, but his responses to your responses are. He knows what he's holding himself to. Verse 16, then the king commanded and they brought Daniel, cast him in the den of lions. Because the law demands death for sin, Ezekiel chapter 18. And the lion's den, a huge cave in the ground. Lion at the bo- lions at the bottom, they fed from the top, hole in the top, a roll of stone over the hole, and, and uh, then they built a, um, a wall surrounding the opening so nobody just stumbles in. And it is a type, it is a picture of the underworld, the unseen realm of the dead. How's this for a Halloween sermon? And many times we feel like God leaves us in the devil's den. Well, you know what? You may be in the devil's den. You're never never in the devil's hand. So verse 16, now the king spake unto Daniel, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Well, where Darius learned so much about God and faith in God from watching Daniel's life, from listening to Daniel speak God's words. I wonder what kind of a letter other people would write about God by looking at your life. I wonder. Verse 17, stone brought, laid on the mouth of the den, king sealed it. You know, when Jesus was buried, a stone was rolled over the door of the sepulcher, Mark 15. A seal was set on it by Pilate, Matthew 27. And this is the key to it all right here. The key to it all is this, because Daniel gave faith responses to every circumstance. He was found faithful in every situation. Peter tells us that Satan is a roaring lion. Paul says men and women will try to devour us as well as the devil wanting to uh, shake us and scare us out of our faith. And the only thing that will shut their mouths is for you to be in God's word and prayer as your spiritual discipline for personal worship. Verse 19, then the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions, because that's a picture of what took place at the resurrection of Jesus, because the women came early in the morning, and Peter and John, they run out to see what happened. Verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, and the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? You know, that title, Living God, appears the first time in the King James Bible at Mount Sinai where God's giving his word to his people, Deuteronomy 5. And the living God stands in contrast to the gods who will die like men, Psalm 82, the gods of this world, the princes and powers of the air, the ones who are currently the principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6.12. Those are the gods that Christ spoils at his resurrection, Colossians 2.15. And in verse 24, we see how it happens in Bible typology. Now, before we get to there, I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to cut across the field here a little bit. 2 Timothy 4.17, 
Paul writes to Timothy and he says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And he's speaking about when he stood before Nero, Nero Caesar, to give a defense of the gospel. He says, the Lord strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known, even in Caesar's household, and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. But if you know church history, you know that for 250 years after that, Paul's disciples are not delivered. They are sent into arenas with lions and they're not delivered. Now God still preserved them unto his heavenly kingdom as verse 18 of, of, of 2 Timothy 4 says. But that undeliverance of them is the reason that the imperial church ends up looking for everything like an Old Testament priesthood and absorbing all the paganism of the Roman Empire when it comes out of the tunnel under Constantine in AD 313. But in this case, and at the second coming, what happens, what happens to the princes and powers of darkness? I mean, we know that Christians don't, are not always delivered, no matter what you see on Hillsong Channel or other places. We know that we're not always delivered, but what happened to Daniel? What's going to happen at the second coming? What happens to the darkness's rulers of this world? Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them in the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all the bones in pieces ever they came at the bottom of the den. Now wait, you need to know this. Because the head of a house, head of the household, or of a nation for that matter, can either be a blessing or a curse to, to the entire family. Either a blessing or a curse to the entire country. What this verse proves is that whole families were in on this plot against Daniel and the living God. And we got to get to the place of prioritizing our personal worship before this generation of our children are lost just like these children were. They lost their kids because they would not admit what Darius writes next with his own hand. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he's a living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall even be unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. And he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Same conclusion Nebuchadnezzar came to back in chapter 4. So because Daniel does right till the stars fall, every imperial province hears about the living God. And scripture surrounded the Mediterranean before ever the Spartans freed Athens or democracy was invented. I mean, Socrates isn't even out of diapers for another 150 years. And, and Plato after that. Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, who was the Mede, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thus ends the historical material in Daniel. Next time we're in Daniel, we will pick up the part of the book that's on prophecy. And I know that there are lions in your den, and I know my time is up, but I can't let you, you know, I can't leave you in the lurch on that, on this, and, and leave you hanging. 
How do we apply all of this with insight? Well, first off, with three realizations. Number one, since you rarely get what you deserve from people, don't expect it. Number two, since you'll always get what's best from God, don't doubt it. Two things you must never doubt when you're in the lion's den. God's care, God's character. Number three, since you need the ability to handle people's worst and God's best, walk with consecration. That is what will make you balanced between the high times and the low times. And I got three resolutions to match those three realizations. Number one, faithfulness is critical in the marketplace. So have it. Have it. Be it. Do it. To be consecrated to Christ... Bible truth has to be encased in all aspects of your life. Number two, prayer is not optional attire, so do it. I mean, it may be optional today whether or not Brian wanted to wear a tie and dress up or not. Prayer is not optional attire. Daniel is willing to die for his worship. Are you willing to live for it? See, Daniel's not here, but you are. You are the Daniel for today. We are the Daniels for today. This church is the church of Daniels for today. So finally, number three, God is alive during the events of your life. Therefore, acknowledge him. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian pray. Is God involved with you? Is God involved in your life? All you got to do is look at the verbs in verse 27 and you can find out. Because those verbs define God's activity. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs, he does wonders. Do you know the miracle of the new birth yet? Have you been spiritually born again? God available to you, you available to God in a spiritual dimension seen only by faith, not by sight. And seen by faith means it's described for you accurately and exactly in the word of God. You can see it because you can see it in the word. You know, since getting born again is a spiritual operation, all you got to do is pray. I mean, you can just pray right now and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I'm not praying because Alan is asking me to. I'm not praying because anybody else said I should. God, I need this life. I need eternal life. I need, I need life in Jesus Christ. I know I need to trust him today to get my sins forgiven, taken away. Today I see he's the one who died for my sins. He is the one who faced the lion's mouth for three days in hell. And you raised him from the dead because that sacrifice was accepted by you. And now my faith in his finished work Activate your grace in my life to save me. So I trust Jesus today for what he promises me, everlasting life.